Hey everyone, this is episode 33 of the Next Bite Podcast. I'm really excited about today's episode. Uh, we talked about bifacial solar cells, which basically means they can produce electricity from both the top and the bottom of the cell, and how that might impact solar farms and you know solar energy generation as we as we see it in the future. It, it it's going to change a lot, so I'm excited to share this with you. And we also talked about in another article a smart laser cutter system coming out of MIT that can hit one of the pain points for Farbod and I when we're using laser cutters and uh, make it a lot safer and easier for everyone using a laser cutter with multiple materials. So if you're interested, check it out. Let's go. Episode 33. I'm Daniel. And I'm Farbod. And this is the Next Byte Podcast. Every week, we explore interesting and impactful tech and engineering content from Weevolver.com and deliver it to you in bite-sized episodes that are easy to understand, regardless of your background. All right, we're going to hop into article number one for this episode, and we're talking about a new solar record set with bifacial solar cells coming out of Australian National University. Bifacial, what does that mean? Does it have two heads? Um, <laughs> you know, it, it could, could be it's two-faced. Yeah, it's so a two-faced look, solar cell. We hate it's it. It's not Harvey Dent. <laughs> um, we're looking at solar cells that produce electricity, right? The, the big thing with photovoltaic cells is they turn light into electricity. They produce electricity on both faces of the solar panel. So if you think of the solar panel sitting on a roof, the top side is important because that's where the light hits mm -hmm. and it produces the electricity, turns that sunlight into electric power that we can use for other things. The bottom side of that is usually a piece of metal that holds all the cells and it it's not that big of a deal when it's on your roof, right? You know, there's a shadow on the underside. There's not a lot of light. But when you look at these massive solar farms, a lot of the sunlight, the solar energy, actually also hits the ground and reflects off of the ground and it hits the back side of this panel. And there's just metal there. It's not doing anything. It's actually heating up and it's making the cell less efficient. So what these researchers are doing is looking at, you know, how do we capture more of this sunlight? And a great way to do it is to try to find a way to capture all the sunlight that's bouncing, bouncing off back. the ground as well. That makes sense. But So they made these solar cells that have, you know, the top side that produces power from sunlight. And they also have the same, you know, ingredients on the bottom side that produce power from sunlight as well. I, I'm trying to think this through. Like in one, in one end, it makes sense because you're like, oh, like we're just getting this loss. And it's just heating us up. Let's just try to make something out of it. Let's just try to get more power out of it. Completely makes sense. But you're also using twice the material, right? Like that, the material used for the backside could just be used to make another panel that's actually facing the sun. And I'm assuming that's actually going to get more power generation out of it than anything that's going to reflect it back off the ground. Well, that that's kind of true in a sense. Um, and what a big uh, benefit of this is when you have a constraint on space. So especially in right. urban areas where you can't just, you know, cut down more trees and make the solar farm twice the size, um, you can take advantage of ground reflection, which at the end of the day, you add it all up, um, you know, total it up. And this is the new record that they got. They got an additional 30% power generation by having these cells on the backside. Okay. Um, there are some other things that make it more convenient, let's say. So like, let's say on a cloudy day, you don't produce that much electricity on the top side because the light is already diffused. 
but on a cloudy day, the bottom size helps. The bottom side helps a lot because the light is already reflecting everywhere. So that's a good um, point. I didn't that's even think a big about benefit. That. There's a lot of people that spend a lot of money on making solar cells that track the sun throughout the day. So, you know, they start in the morning facing the east and then they turn throughout the day to face the west. That can end up costing a lot because you need to deal problems. with the robotics, you know, like we talked about in our last episode, episode 32. Um, I've lost track at this point, to be honest. We with talked you. about in our last episode how all these gearboxes, they cost a lot to lubricate and to maintain. Um in this case, you can leave the solar panel at a fixed position, and it doesn't matter because when it gets more sunlight, say say it's face say it face west, right? While it gets more sunlight on the top side um, during the day, you know, during the end of the day, in the morning when the sun is in the east, it gets a lot more reflected light on the bottom. So you don't need to make these solar panels that move throughout the day. You can use a lot less space, and you can produce thirty percent more power with the same footprint. I, I like what you said earlier on is that this has a spot in terms of where it's applied because it kind of brings to light, ha, huh, pun intended, <laughs> uh, uh, this, the, what, what we got to keep in mind when it comes to energy is that it's always a balancing act. If you're, you know, in, in a desert where no one cares about the space, you can put up as many panels as you want. Sure, having one face is fine, but now you have to address the challenges of taking that power, adding it to the grid, building out that infrastructure versus if you want to put it in, you know, Fairfax County where, and space is very, very limited. Having it be dual-sided might make more sense, even though you're technically kind of wasting some material on the back end because you're not getting the full potential that you could if it was on the front side. So yeah, that's that's so the 30% about, thing makes it pretty impressive and worthwhile to me at least. To think about where we think these you know solar farms are that could use these bifacial solar cells, um, a lot of these farms are being built near the area where you want the energy to be consumed because that's the most efficient way to transport the energy. Right. You know, instead of me getting my electricity from a solar farm in California, where I'm on the East coast of the U S we'd make a solar farm nearby. So we don't lose that power and transmission. They say in the next five years, these new solar farms being built in urban and suburban areas, the bifacial solar cells are expected to reach a market share of 50%. So in five years, Half of the solar cells okay. being sold on the market are going to be bifacial like this. So it uh, the research Supports demonstrates this. the capability of the technology. It actually broke the world record for efficiency of a single solar cell. It reached 29% as opposed to 23, which is the average. Um, and it, it basically shows us that, you know, all these promises about this technology reaching 50% of the market share in the next five years might actually be true because it, it, it does work. Yeah. Wait, what? Where's this coming out of again? I, I forgot what you said. Australia National University. The same the same uh, university that gave us the Bieber thing, right? Yeah, Justin Bieber, uh, Spotify AI to figure out what mood you're going on when you're listening to music. So nice. they're doing some interesting and impactful things over at Australian National University. Well, you know, what we're talking about the sunlight, optics. I'm just going to do this transition. We're hopping to the next article. It's coming out of MIT's. Computer Science and Artificial Intelligence Laboratory, CSAIL. I love almost every article that comes out yeah. of there. They, Great they give us so much interesting stuff to talk about. And, yeah. And th this is no exception. So what they've built is a device where it can get coupled to your laser cutter and it'll determine if the material you're cutting, first of all, is toxic or not. And if it's not toxic, it gives you the settings you need to cut it in the best way possible. So I don't 
I've used a laser cutter. I don't know how many people listening to us have used a laser cutter. There are a lot of different things that you need to change in those settings to make sure that the laser cutter works correctly. Well, let, let's draw from the, the experience that we share together, right? Yeah. We were working with this organic polymer and so, some of the factors you got to keep in mind is how much power you're providing the laser, like how intensely is it cutting or burning at something and how fast it's moving. That might not seem like a lot to play with, but that'll change, you know, whether drastically depending on which material you're using. Exactly. Like with one thing, you could be perfectly cutting it. And with the other one, you could be burning it. And with the other one, you could be melting it and producing toxic fumes. Laser cutters are really great for cutting metal. But if you use the same settings that you were using to cut a thin piece of sheet metal and you put a piece of wood in there, it'll catch it on fire. And if you swap that out for a you know a polymer or a piece of plastic, it'll just melt it in place. I, and- I have a personal pain point I'm going to share with this. <laughs> I, uh, I I I'm a member at this like uh, creator studio, and they have a laser cutter, and they have signs everywhere like "Please don't cut polycarbonate." And if you do laser cutting with polycarbonate, it produces toxic fumes, and it, the ventilation we have goes into the wood shop where I typically oh, am. Nice. So then they have to evacuate everyone because we don't <laughs> want people to die, and you gotta wait hours until that fume is gone. Yeah, so like, so it's a real problem. Like between both of our experiences and a lot of other people that have used laser cutters, they could probably find use out of this sale uh, device that helps you know what you're cutting and what the settings are. So yep. how does it work? Exactly. Let's get into the secret sauce, as you like to call it. The secret sauce is that they're not actually doing image analysis like I thought they would. Like they're not taking one picture and comparing it to the other and being like, oh, is this pine? Yes, it is pine. They're trying to look at the um, microstructure of the surface of whatever material it is that's actually placed to the machine. And they came up with this optical method. They call it speckle sensing. So they have this image sensor and the laser that does the cutting, it moves onto the top of the material, it shines its laser at it, and the photons that are bouncing back are caught by this image sensor. And it it pop like it's it's easier if you watch the video. I don't know how to explain it. It's like these dots that pop up that really just show you the microstructure. And as a as a human, you look at that and you're like, this does this means absolutely nothing to me. I'm gonna be like, I'm gonna show my nerdy side here. Show it. Looking at the the video that they have, the you know, the speckles that pop up and they populate this uh this algorithm it looks like like kind of like the pixelated art wrapping minecraft blocks um so like maybe like one type of minecraft block has a certain speckle pattern a certain color that tells you hey this is dirt um and you look at a different one and you're like oh this is stone oh this is sandstone that's exactly at least to me that's the closest analogy in my head got a minecraft shining the light fan over here they nice. get these pixelated speckles that show you the microstructure and their different color and their different darkness depending on you know what the surface of this looks like and you know just like you could if you've played enough minecraft you could scroll through and say like just you could look at a block and be like oh that's stone with diamond in it I imagine they train the AI algorithm to do the same thing when the light speckles off there and they're like, oh, like that's polycarbonate or that's wood. That's exactly what they did. That's perfect. I, I didn't think you were going to come in with a freaking Minecraft analogy, but let's go with that. That's yeah. So that's what they did. <laughs> I'm they leaning took, into it. <laughs> it's, it works. At least for me, it works. Let's see what the audience thinks later on. But they took the 30 most commonly used uh, materials for laser cutting and they trained this artificial intelligence algorithm. They put it underneath the sensor. They got this speckle sensing data and they got 38,000 quote unquote images of it. So it knows, you know, which Minecraft block 
uh, is associated with what actual like real physical material. Now, to actually prove that this like system works, they mounted the device, which is composed of 3D printed parts, this image sensor that I talked about, and a Raspberry Pi Zero, which is like all very inexpensive and you know easy to acquire items. They mounted it onto the laser cutter and they placed three different transparent sheets of material on there. Okay, like so these are like things you or I to the naked eye couldn't distinguish exactly what's what what might be actually polycarbonate, which is the one that's toxic. Exactly. And they wanted to see if it worked and it did. So it went over the first one and it was like, this is uh, this material and it's not toxic. So you can cut it. And these are the settings and you can wipe it down with alcohol. So it sets the settings and tells you what to do to it. It gives you all that feedback. And again, like we've worked with laser cutters. If you don't have that directory with you, you have to do a lot of Googling or like experimentation to figure out what setting actually works. So like some of the places I've worked, they have like this huge binder you've got to flip through. Or you can Google through these databases online that have millions of different materials in them. It's just um, stressful, man. Like, it's... yeah, and just imagine that it could, you know, figure that out for you on the spot to make sure that it happens correctly. Um, I know that like some of the other solutions for this include like having a sticker with a QR code on there that you have the reader go look at. Like Glowforge is one of the laser cutters that I think of, but you know that's kind of unreliable like thinking the sticker could fall that's exactly what they said like imagine if you put the sticker for something wrong on accident on a sheet of polycarbonate your laser cutter goes and looks at it it's like oh okay that like this is vinyl it's okay to cut and then you know it fills the gas with these poisonous or fills the place with these poisonous fumes it seems a lot more reliable and a lot more accurate to look at the actual microstructure of the material that you have straight in front of you that 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 was my takeaway too, and that's what the MIT researchers actually said. They're like, yeah, you can use these QR codes, but it's it's like unreliable for basically every reason that you just mentioned. Well, I'm I still have like a little bit of doubt, and this is coming out of my desire to be a hobbyist and have like you know maker uh, tools available to everyone at a low cost. Is this thing going to be ridiculously expensive or is it something that is like attainable to everyone? Do you have to buy an MIT brand laser cutter to get this? Can you retrofit it? I'm interested in hearing, you know, how will they bring this to market? What might it look like for everyone? I don't know if they have any like go to market strategies as of right now, but from what I gathered since they, you know, harped on the fact that this was accomplished by 3D printing and a Raspberry Pi is that they they should be able to make this thing like pretty inexpensively and they retrofitted it to an existing yeah they retrofitted laser cutter to to what was already there and as far as the actual you know secret sauce algorithm goes that was already trained with i'm assuming a supercomputer or like a very uh beefed up device at mit and then the device itself the raspberry pi which is doing the processing of the images that raspberry pi is like it's not ten dollars super strong computer yeah but it's it gets the job done once you load onto it that that's that's exciting for me to hear so hoping that the next time i use a laser cutter i don't have to figure out what the material are and what the settings are i mean i could just hopefully hold this up there and it'll tell me yeah like this is the material you're using it's okay to use on this on safely use on this laser cutter here are the settings that you should use and you know Ultimately, even if I don't end up poisoning anyone with polycarbonate, having the wrong settings is also dangerous and can also end up wasting a ton of material if it burns it or melts it instead of cutting it correctly. Um, You know, this is exciting for me, a pain point that I personally have felt. And you know what? I'm going to add on to that. 
I'm a, from a selfish standpoint, I just hope this becomes accessible so I can get the maker shop that I work at to adopt it so I can keep working in the wood shop without being evacuated. Yeah, so Once, MITC sale, if you're listening. Do send, this for me, please. Send one of these sensor packages to, where is it, Nova Labs? Forbode? Nova Labs, yes. Nova Labs to his creator space so Forbode never has to worry about anyone using the laser cutter and poisoning him with polycarbonate ever again. That would be incredible. I appreciate it. Thank you in advance. Well, I think that's the end of our episode. We're going to wrap it up here. I just want to thank everyone that has made it to minute 16 so far, right You know, right at the end of this episode. Um, if you made it this far, if you could hit that subscribe button and share this episode with someone else that you think might be interested in it, that'd be super helpful to us to help us grow. And we've also done a little switch up recently. We changed it up. We used to do three topics per episode. We're testing out a little bit, doing two topics per episode. Let us know what you think. If you hate it, let us know. If you love it, let us know. We want to be you know, dynamic and including the community as a part of this to make sure that we're delivering the best information to you that's impactful and interesting and easy to understand. Thank you, everyone, and we'll see you in the next episode. That's all for today. The Next Byte Podcast is produced by Weevolver. And to learn more about the topics we discussed today, visit Weevolver.com. If you enjoyed this episode, Please review and subscribe via Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or one of your favorite platforms. I'm Forbode. And I'm Daniel. Thank you for listening, and we'll see you in the next episode.